Any car person loves a new car. The smell, the shine, it just makes you feel great. Today's guest is Wes Walls, owner and operator of Elite Finish Detailing, a full-service automotive detailing business supporting their tagline, making first impressions last. When it comes to cars, what beats that? Prior to COVID, Wes and I sat down where I thought we'd chat about his upbringing, as well as how he's grown his business, catering to some of the most lustworthy cars on the road today. We quickly jump into car talk only to come to a screeching halt when he mentions his days of competitive horse jumping and rocking cowboy hats. The foray into detailing really sprung about due to a neighbor admiring the degree to which Wes cleaned his own car. Wes was working in the mortgage business when it crashed a little over a decade ago, so his then-weekend side hustle quickly became a way to pay the rent. We discussed the value of relationships as well as a tiny yet very effective marketing tool he utilizes all the time. We of course delve into what services Elite Finish offers, as well as what questions are good to ask your local shop when vetting detailers in your area. Additionally, we chat about what not to do as a customer and even some easy tips for you to take better care of your cars at home. This was a fun and truly informative conversation, and I think many of you will appreciate the education. I know I did. I'm your host, Wesley Smith, and you're listening to the Standard Age Podcast. Well, Wes, welcome to the Standard Age Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on, dude. Yeah, man. It's good to see you. Um, we always started off with kind of a born and raised type of background check. So where are you from? Uh, so I grew up in Fallbrook. Okay, so outside San Diego. Yep. Yeah, North County. Cool. Yeah, it's beautiful up there. And what did mom and dad do? Um, or so, what do they do? Yeah, so uh, retired now. They sold their, their business. Uh, my mom was in real estate for a long time, and my dad was in sales. And then they started a business together and built that up. Uh, I actually worked for the company right out of college and uh, for like three years and helped them get like a whole print and mail facility um, all set up for them. Easiest way I can answer it is they did like automation of certified mail and um, working with like the foreclosure process and like a lot of lawyers and things use their forms and software. They turned into a big tech company actually, and it um, had like up to like 170 something employees at one point. Oh wow! And uh, they just recently, last couple of years, sold the business. So oh cool! So yeah. they're just hanging out. Yeah, enjoying they're, life. They're, they're enjoying my mom's. My mom and I both competed riding horses uh, in the hunter jumper realm when I was growing up. I did that. I for did like, not see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> I did that for like 10 years. I was actually really good at it. I considered that as a career. Um, ultimately decided to get, you know, not to, but, um, now my mom is competing in dressage. And, uh, so she's been really enjoying that. They've got a ranch in Bonzel now and you know, they're just, it's gorgeous and they're just living life happy, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. What, uh, what was your first car? Uh, so my first car was a F-150. Uh, yep. I actually wasn't, uh, really like, it's not that I didn't like cars. I just wasn't like, I'm the car enthusiast I am today was definitely not like that developed over time. Um, I was, you know, like, dude, I had a cowboy hat on most of the time, you know, in high school and stuff. Like I, you know, I drove my truck and, um, really, uh, you know, really, um, kind of enjoyed that. I drove a, uh, F350 dually for a little bit. Um, cause you were, pull- were you pulling your horses? Uh, yeah, but mostly for me, like it was just, uh, uh, a lifestyle. It's just, yeah. It was just, just in my trucks, my Ford trucks, you know? Well, those trucks aren't cheap and, you know, cars are cheaper than horses. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So, yeah. Yeah, that's you, interesting. You know how to make a small fortune with horses, right? 
you got to spend a large one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What? Uh, so what? Then when did you cross the bridge into to the automotive? So space? I, I moved in uh, to Idaho. Uh, twenty. See, I was twenty three, twenty four years old, right around there. Um, just kind of a hit the re- reset button in my life a little bit, and I actually got into the mortgage business. And I started doing well, and I ended up getting. I had a lifted uh, Yukon, which is really cool. Uh, but then I just, I don't know, all of a sudden I wanted something sporty and I, but I was in Idaho and needed something with all wheel drive. And I found, I got a brand new 07 WRX. Oh, cool. And, and then I, dude, I did a cold air intake and I was hooked, you know, <laughs> the, the first yeah. mod, the first mod was an intake and then a cob tuner and, uh, and then, a, you know, exhaust. And I just was like, and I did all of it myself and I was so proud of myself and I was hooked. Um, and, and I started, that's when I started detailing as I, I really wanted to keep that car in its best shape before I didn't really care. I'd let my trucks get dirty and it was almost a badge of honor that if they were muddy and dirty. Right. Sure. And then, so it just changed and I just, all of a sudden I fell in love with like getting OCD. Into all, yeah, all the nooks and crannies and <laughs> yeah. my neighbor saw me detailing my car was like, Hey, you know, you do mine, like kind of joking. And I was like, sure. I charged him a hundred bucks. I spent all day on this car on a Saturday and he, he thought I had been like professionally trained because I would just, I was so meticulous. I could I just don't leave, I don't like to leave well enough alone. You know, I've learned to have to do that as a business owner. Right. Sure. But it's not like, it's not in my nature. I'm like, I want to strategize and I want to like, you know, do things as perfectly as I possibly can. Do you think that comes from riding horses and jumping where form is paramount? Um, I think that's why I thrived in riding. I, I think that's just in my, it's just it's like in my DNA and just in my, just kind of who I am. So it's nature, not nurture. I, I, yeah, I really, I really think so. I mean, um, you know, I was also raised in a very uh, successful minded family. Sure. You know, we don't, we don't, uh, um, you know, we take responsibility for our lives and our experience and our success and failures. You know, we don't have excuses, you know, we just, so it's just, I don't know. We just kind of, we're just a driven family and my cousins and my siblings, like all of us are just like that, you know? So it just the entrepreneurial spirit just runs throughout your for pedigree. Sure. <laughs> what, yeah, for sure. That's cool. So then that's what got you into detailing, obviously. So when did elite finish start? So I had a friend, I just kind of like did some detailing sort of for fun. Um, and then I had a friend come visit me from San Diego and fell in love with it and came up and looked around at some jobs and stuff. I know it was a tough job market. Were you in Coeur d'Alene or uh, were you in, in the Boise area? Boise? I, okay. I lived in Eagle. Uh, we, we joked and called it little San Diego because like literally you, not only do you meet people from California there, but like almost all from San Diego. It's weird. Oh wow. Um, the, um, the, yeah. So my friend moved up and, we just started to kind of clean some cars and I was like, dude, let's start a business. So I was still in the mortgage business, but you know, um, we, so we started this detailing business on the weekends. We'd go up to the resorts and do stuff. And I, I would actually detail on the weekends, but mostly I was, you know, getting the marketing going and kind of handling sales while he was doing the work. Um, and then, um, you know, real estate. So we, we, so we started that business. We called it elite finish auto detailing up there. And then uh, real estate crashed. I mean, due to the last two months I was in the mortgage business, I had 18 loans that none of them closed. Oh, wow. And I mean, I had been pulling long hours and really trying to do my best. And I, I, so I just, you know, I bailed on that. Um, I did start brokering some seller carryback mortgages a little bit while I was running the, the detailing business as well. 
but ultimately, um, I, I basically for a period of time there, I sort of, it went from like, I was doing detailing cause it was fun to like, I have to pay bills. Right. You like, it was a necessity. At it that really, point. it really was. So th- that lasted for about a year. Um, and I had a little shop like 300 bucks a, a month, you know, it's a tiny little shop. It was perfect for what we were doing. We were doing a lot of boats, which is really fun actually. Oh, sure. And then eventually I'll, I, I realized, no, I kind of like this car thing. I started connecting with like the local car groups up there and started kind of getting more into that culture. And I, but I realized that there was a limit up there. And so I looked at coming back to San Diego and literally moved in. I moved back here, moved in into my mom's closet for like three months. I put my bed between her clothes. Um, now her closet was like a spare bedroom, <laughs> right? Sure. <laughs> but, but you were surrounded by women's yeah, wear. <laughs> yeah, I was. I, um, they were kind of in transition from the house they had sold to the new one. And so they were in a condo. And so the extra bedroom in there was like racks of clothes. And like, I just slid my bed in there and just kind of like, you know, it was one car after the next, just building that business up and terrified of like, how am I going to pay my bills? And, you know, honestly, at the time, my, my, my dad was really pushing me hard, um, to get kind of more back into a business kind of, you know, quote unquote business realm. And, and I said like, look, I, I just like this, man. I like being around these cars. And, um, like I said, I was afraid cause it wasn't a steady thing, but I just kept grinding and grinding. And all of a sudden, you know, it was, uh, we were off to the races. I met a guy, um, I partnered up with him for a few years, um, and, uh, ultimately bought him out of the business. But, um, the, uh, that was kind of nice. We were able to help each other out. He had some steady business. I had a lot of good sales and marketing kind of understanding and, you know, um, within about three years of being mobile from being back, I had my first shop. So you've mentioned sales and marketing a couple times now, like what were you doing in those days to actually market the business? You know, so it's kind of interesting. I've never, when I say marketing, I really haven't ever ran like a lot of ads or done anything like, you know, I'm actually, um, featured here in the Ogara, uh, magazine, you can see, you can see here, I've got this full two, you know, two page color spread. Um, but you know, I've never really ran a lot of, a lot of ads online or anything like that. It's just more of, a understanding how to, how to communicate what's different and unique about us. And that kind of the value proposition of working with, you know, so it's more of the you know, working with us. So it's more of the psychology, I guess. Um, you know, I mean, dude, I did a lot of door to door, like, you know, getting told no, <laughs> no, 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 you know, um, going to business parks, going to people's homes, handing out cards. Honestly, one of the little tricks, um, that, uh, I've, I don't usually tell people, but, uh, you know, l- let your listeners hear is, um, I've picked up a lot of business at gas stations because they're kind of captive there for five minutes or right, so. Yeah, totally. And they're not busy. So they actually, so someone who's got a really nice car, I'm like, Hey man, love the car. Like, what color is that? You know, and just kind of get into conversation and why is it dirty? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, a lot of times, you know, the conversation just naturally comes up, you know? Um, but I've, you know, I've taken different sales and kind of negotiations type courses. And so I haven't, I, I, I've done like marketing training, but really, again, I haven't followed a lot of the, the, traditional marketing sense it's just more of the it's more like the communication it sounds like gift of gab meets like just really good networking yeah 
my my dad uh well my parents really really taught me about the value of um of relationships and really taking care of people and um and i've i've focused on that really heavily um and you know i think a lot of what i think that i do well is listen to um you know listen to what people what they're saying but what they really mean when they what they're saying and so when they say that oh yeah like i want to get my car coated ceramic coated or I want a detail or whatever i know how to ask questions to find out what they're truly desiring yeah now sometimes they don't know and so i'm able to first start there and educate on well here are some things that are possible would those be things you'd be interested in or not if they're not if they're like eh, i don't really care like why am i going to pitch that you know and i feel like i've i've done a very good job of building um, a pricing menu and service menu that I don't really care what level, as long as I'm doing business with you, I'm stoked. Right. And honestly, even if you don't do business with me, I'm fine with that too. I'm happy to spend the time to educate anybody on any, on, on any of these things. Um, but when we're doing business with somebody, I'm just as profitable cleaning up their car versus doing a full out correction and coding. And I think that's important because then we're not financially motivated to try to get that sale. Right. You're not you trying know? to upsell people. Yeah. And people hate being sold something anyway. I think generally speaking, I think people, you know, if you can, you know, value proposition, you said it before, whereas like you present an option that they perhaps never even thought of, you know, and then they're like, oh, wow. Well, now this guy not only knows what he's talking about, but he's actually you, you elicit the feeling that you are taking care of him. That's yeah, really for sure. important for sure for any service industry yeah. related. Business. Yeah. And, and a lot of our business, you know, has just has become um, very much referral based. I mean, the only like, I guess, marketing you say is still kind of referral based type marketing, it's like through Yelp, <laughs> oh, know, yeah. Google, things where people are going, you know, to look for other people's opinion, you know, of, of a company before they make a, even a, a decision to even let alone a buying decision, even just a decision to call, you know? Well, you have the, uh, the making first impressions last mm -hmm. kind of your slogan tagline. Yeah. I love that. Was that Thank a you. day one thing or when did that come about? That developed, we were, oh, this is probably seven years ago, maybe something like that. And, and we were kind of working on our, like our mission statement, vision statements for the business. And, and we decided that we wanted a slogan and, um, and you know, it took a little bit of some kind of working through some things. And all of a sudden, I don't know, like I just kind of said, I basically communicated. I said, look, I think what's unique about us, aside from the specifics of our specific techniques and detailing, whatever, I think what's unique is that we wow people in our initial just conversation we're always there. We don't go away. We don't just wow you to get your money and then forget about you. We're always there for people. And we've consistently stayed that way. In fact, it's elevated as time has gone on and that I've gotten even better and better at, you know, at, at handling my clientele. Um, but, um, but same thing with our work, you show up, especially when we get into like ceramic coatings and if we're putting paint protection film on a car, we're putting on these products that, hold up and look gorgeous for years. So they show up and they're like, what the heck? I I've had people literally bring me a brand new car. And then two days later when they come pick up or three days later, 
walk right past their car because they didn't recognize it. No way. And that shine and that beauty lasts. And so I was just kind of talking through that and it just hit me. I was like, making first impressions last. That's awesome. You know? That's great. Well, I mean, it sounds like the business sort of grew organically. For sure. You just kept reinvesting in the into the business yourself. Yep. Was there ever a moment where you needed investment or took on investment? Um, I've never taken on any uh, true like investment. You know, my... I mean, aside from getting put up in your mom's closet, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, listen, my my <laughs> parents, my parents have done very, very well. They're not the types to just hand out money to their kids. They want us to earn our way. Um, but there's certainly been some moments where I've, I, you know, I've gone to. Uh, it's just funny. I one time I was in Hawaii and I bought my dad a shirt. It says "Bank of Dad." You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, but you know, it's like I've I've gone to them, um, you know, at, at strategic points. Uh, especially like the the building that we're in now, um, you know, this is about ten thousand square feet here. The total build out was like one hundred and seventy grand to get us moved in, and you know, I definitely needed a little bit of some help with that, um, and they were happy to to help because that's it wasn't again just them just like oh here's here kid you know go squander your money it's like you know it was a strategic there's an purpose. objective yeah yeah for it it's yeah. funny i was going to ask you about the building later but that's cool that yeah. you brought it up now you know and, and i've Do you, you know, own the building no it's we uh rent the so you are leasing it yeah i'm leasing the, the cool. unit here and um the uh you know and i've i've certainly had to utilize some debt here or there I'd, i prefer to not go to mom and dad for things so i mean i definitely have some business structure debt um, and that again, I've used at strategic points. Sure. Um, so, um, you know, um, I've also had like last year, it rained hard for five months and I had just come out of a, a year where I had doubled my sales from the year. So from 2017 to 2018, we doubled our sales and for the first time broke that million dollar sale market. Like it was around, you know, 1.2 million. And then, and then we were more about a million in sales in, uh, uh, in 2019. And so, and, but I was staffed for growth. Right. So it was a hit. I mean, I, I definitely, I, I, you know, I, I had to take on a little bit of debt this last year, um, that I'm kind of working through right, you know, right now. And so what, what happens is, is that we are very much tied to how new car sales are doing and new car sales were taking a hit. Honestly. Um, I mean, even like, uh, high end restaurants, hotels, you know, hospitality, all that, a lot of these high-end markets took some big hits during the rain because a lot of people were just kind of staying home. You know, people don't mind if it rains here or there, but like we're San Diegans, right? Like when people it's are dumping, rain. Yeah, yeah, everyone's terrified. Or they just, they go to work, they go home, you know? And, and so a lot of, a lot of the overall sales, you know, were just, were definitely, you know, down. And, and, and admittedly, I did not, like I'm, I, my personality is I'm aggressive. I, I, I don't pay myself, you know, maximum amounts. I, I keep as much of our revenue into the business and I push the envelope all the time. And, you know, I would say this was probably a good lesson for me to try to figure out, you know, be a little more strategic with having money socked away and things like that. You know, so when we have some dips, um, the, uh, I just felt, I just felt so confident what was happening. Um, the other thing about 2018 that was kind of interesting that I didn't fully pay attention to was that the, the model three hit, right. And so those model threes were coming through here and we did thousands of them. Really? Yes. And, and, and then sales are, I mean, look, people are still buying model threes like crazy, but the initial surge of like where Tesla couldn't keep up 
right? They're like, people were waiting for their car. That now has subsided, right? All the initial orders have been delivered. And so now they're just delivering on whenever the new orders come in. And so it's tapered off. We still have a lot of Model 3s coming through here and just Teslas in general, but not as much. So was Tesla or the Model 3 specifically a main contributor of doubling your sales? Then? Absolutely. So that model alone yes. exploded your business. Absolutely. That's insane. Yeah. How many employees do you have? Um, so I have four employees. Four? Yeah. And then I've uh, got a couple guys that I um, do some contract work with as well. Does that ever flex at any point in time? Be yeah. And in, t- in 2018, I had uh, uh, eight employees at one point. Okay. Yeah. Is that due to just demand? Yeah. And we also had um, an account with a dealership where we were, um, you know, we were preloading some uh, paint protection film for the dealership. So I had a couple of employees there as well. And, you know, and then, um, you know, new, new management came through and, you know, we lost the account and, um, so I moved those guys up here and eventually things kind of adjusted and it, you know, we, we shrunk the team back down a little over, over time. So we've touched a little bit on paint protection film. Like what are the different types of applications that you guys offer? So there's, it's kind of interesting. So paint protection film originally, I and mean, people call it clear bra or PPF, you know, but, um, so it originally was made it was a lot thicker in its initial application and it was made to protect the helicopter blades, the front of the blades, um, because they're constantly having to repaint the, the blades. Um, and so like, and it was a military application and then, um, eventually moved into the, you know, it's been used in different automotive or, um, industrial spaces as well. And on, and obviously automotive. So for a while there paint protection film or, you know, cl- the clear bra, kind of as it was originally sort of known as replace the exact shape as the, the old like vinyl and leather, you know, bras that people would clip onto the front of their car. Right. So it was always just kind of for paint protection, but then as the industry developed, then we realized, Oh, we should be doing full panels and we can tuck around the edges and we can actually make this stuff look like it's not there. And the high end, shops are capable to achieve that. Yeah. Cause historically you'd see the line going across mm-hmm. the hood. Exactly. So, you know, we're able to make it to where you have to have a trained eye to even see our installs. There's certain cars that have certain limitations. Like for instance, on the, on the, on Tesla's or a lot of them, like American cars in general, the, the bump, like front bumper and the fenders meet it so close that if you tried to tuck the, the paint protection film down between the panels, it would just wrinkle out. Right. So you have to remove them. Yeah. So, so what we do is we just trim it right on the, right on the edge, you know? So if, if some dirt builds up, you could definitely see, you know, the, um, um, you know, you'd be able to definitely see the edge of it, but again, you kind of have a trained eye and know what you're looking for. Right. So what most people bring their cars to us for is when we're putting paint protection film on, we're, protecting at minimum, like say front leading edge. So front bumper headlights, fog lights, we'll do like mirrors, things like that. Um, and then a lot of times we'll do the rocker panels because the rocker panels, even if you don't ever tailgate another vehicle, your front tires are throwing rocks up into those rockers. So we'll protect those hood fenders, things like that. And then we have a a lot of other clientele. They just want to cover the whole car. And what's nice is we work with a product called S tech. Um, or STEC, as some people will, will know, it's S-T-E-K. They've been around making film for, like, I think close to 40 years. Oh, wow. Um, and um, they make their own film. 
it's um, in the paint protection film world, it's the smoothest, glossiest, clearest film. It has its own ceramic coating already built into it, which is nice as well. Um, it has less like orange peel texture than most automotive paint. Whereas historically, and even in today's world, some of the other top brands, like the most popular brands, they actually have more orange peel texture than the paint. Like, so what's the difference between Stec or Stec and say C quartz or something along those lines? So yeah, so C quartz is a ceramic coating, and a ceramic coating is a liquid that forms a uh, like a hard shell on top of the uh, paint. The difference is this. If you put just C-Quartz on the whole car, the whole car is going to look stunningly shiny, especially because we've done a bunch of polishing work beforehand. Um, but the, but what it's not going to be able to do is, is handle any rock chips at all. It's going to still, it's, it's still thinner by like paint protection films, two and a half times thicker than paint. Whereas, whereas coating is actually thinner than paint, but it's a lot thicker than a wax or sealant. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, so it still has like a shell to it, but if a rock hits it, it's chip and paint. Gotcha. So, you know, we'll kind of pair. It's less expensive to put paint protection film where rocks are going to hit and then ceramic coat the rest versus put paint protection film on the whole car. So that's kind of how we, you know, we'll um, sort of package the two together. So does the wrap or the uh, paint protection film rather, does that make the car look shiny as well? Or um, is there like an option of a matte finish or what have yeah, you? Yeah, so some clear bra, again, some are better than others. Aztec is extremely glossy. Uh, it's also very hydrophobic. Um, but And then it does. There's a um, So Dino Shield is the 10-year warranty product that we work with um, that's gloss. And then they have the Dino Matte. And uh, that's it's like a, they call it matte, but it's really like a satin finish. Mm-hmm. And it has a perfect match. Uh, to the OEM matte paint on like say Mercedes, BMW, Land Rover, Range Rover. Right. Um, um, so we're able to cover certain panels with that matte film and not have to do the whole car. And it looks like you can't, you can't tell. Now, are they the same price for the gloss versus matte? Or? No, we do charge. So in general, um, let's say you're doing a full gloss, you know, paint protection film wrap on, let's say, a, you know, on a, uh, Tesla Model Three, we'll say charge six thousand dollars for a full wrap, sixty five hundred for matte. Okay. Now you start getting into exotic cars. Let's say it, let's say it's not that complicated of, a, of an exotic car, but there's still more complication. We might be at say seventy five hundred or eight thousand for gloss, but then an additional thousand. So like you know like maybe you know eighty five hundred to nine grand for matte, because there's more comp there's more complexity in the install. Um, the film's also more expensive. I'm not adding. I'm not adding extra profit because someone chose matte over gloss. But there's no difficulty of installation with a matte versus. The only real difference is that the with gloss, if you can kind of get away with not having to tuck a certain area, you really can't with matte because you have to take the risk of it. Because you'll see the gloss. Because you'll see the right. gloss of the edge exactly. That pre-existed. Yeah. Interesting. So there is more complexity there. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I would imagine customer expectations um, are pretty paramount. Mm -hmm. So everyone knows like what the industry standard is for, for charging clients or what is the industry standard for charging clients? Is it project based or hourly or like, how do you go about charging? 
So there's there's actually some different schools of thought. So on the detail side, pain protection films more consistent. It's just more about what somebody what somebody's comfortable charging based on a their own skill set, the material they're using, um, and their and their cost of operating their their business and the amount of money that they personally want to make in their life as a, as an owner, whether they're an owner operator or owner or whatever. But this, it's pretty standard though. It's like, you know, okay. They're either charging for a lump together, like full front end, including, you know, the hood and fenders and bumper and all that versus like from bumper package. So there, there are some, it's just really, what are you covering and what does it cost? Detailing, especially paint correction, which is the process we go through of, of removing swirl marks, scratches, stains, things like that before coating, which is really, really important that you do uh, before the coating application. Um, that process is some guys charge hourly. I don't. I think that it does two things. I think it um, can you can actually, as a business owner, have the potential of making less money by charging by, by the hour. Because if you if, if you if you try to bill out what a doctor makes and you're the detailer that the doctor's bringing his car to, he might be a little like, you know, insulted and whatever. And the other the other part of it is is that I think a lot of people are like, like how many hours did you actually spend? They're not here monitoring, you know. Like if I have three different employees on the car, you know, am I really tracking every second? Like no, I charge for the end result. Right. And listen, sometimes. I'm very profitable on that one job and, and because I bid it right, and, you know, and it made like, and everything went right. And other times I think it's going to take me five hours and it takes 12 and I don't charge my client extra. So I, it's a I win it. some, lose some type of mentality. For sure. It's kind of the law of averages a little bit on that. Um, and I feel that I've had the least resistance with my clientele that way, because also the other thing about hourly is, they don't know what the whole project's going to actually cost. And that's a nervous feeling for a client, especially when you're talking to these top dollars for this kind of work, you know? So, um, you know, so if I, if up front they can make a decision where I say, Hey, listen, if you want show car ready, top of line work, let's say they're spending 3,500 bucks and they go, Ooh, that's not really what I'm comfortable spending. You know, what can you do for 2,500? I can explain, this is what I can do for 2,500. Are you good with that? Yes. Okay, let's go. Or they go, no, you know what? Actually, let's do the 3500 They have a clear picture in their mind of what they're getting for the price. It just works better. That's cool that you can have that dialogue too. Yeah. You know, not every business can operate that way. Yeah. That's cool. So a payment, is: do you take 50% up front or is it 100% on the back end? Or what? how do you guys do that? It's situational. Um if I'm booking a really big project, I like to take, it depends, usually a 20% deposit Okay. Um, to secure, because especially if I'm, if we have a lot of moving parts in that project, say, you know, we're doing crystalline tint. That's, you know, that's not a full day of work, but it, we kind of budget it for a full day. And we're doing, you know, let's say two days worth of clear brow work and then a day or two worth of detailing work. And then we're getting the custom painted calipers and that's another day. Like, so you're 40 hours into this already. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and I have all these things lined up. So if someone no shows on me, that's a massive hit because now I have to reconfigure everything and fill a big, huge spot, you know? 
Um, so that 20% is even non-refundable. It sounds like. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if, you know, if they, if they gave me, you know, um, you know, 48 hours of notice, like it still is a big hit, but I can usually adjust things. So I'll give them their, their money back or, or just roll it over to typically it's not, I don't usually have anyone cancel. It's usually that they, something came up and they have to reschedule. Um, now look, if someone for sure reschedules and I'll just still use their deposit for, for that, you know? Yeah. Um, but if they do it twice, no, I'll keep it and then charge them a new deposit, which typically then doesn't happen. Usually at that point, the they're relationship's kind of done anyway. Cause, they, cause they're clearly not serious and we've taken hits and they're mad that I've kept their money. And you know, that's only probably happened, I don't know, three or four times my whole career. Right. You know, there's been some projects where I will take 50% when we have a lot of, um, a lot of material costs. So, um, custom, custom printed laminated vinyl for subbing that out, you know, um, Oh, like a wheels. Yeah. Or something yeah, like exactly. camouflage or something. Yeah. Uh, you know, if we're doing wheels, uh, you know, for sure we take a 50% deposit on stuff like that. Sure. Those are hit big, heavy, hard costs. Are you a watch collector, but having trouble finding something cool and unique? I mean, the last thing you really want is what everyone else has, right? Well, this is where my friend and former Standard Age podcast guest, Tim Jackson, comes in. He and his wife, Jana, own Passion Fine Jewelry in Solana Beach, California, where you'll find an incredible assortment of independent watches waiting for you in their shop and online. And if you're getting engaged, have an anniversary coming up, or simply have another reason to buy jewelry, they have you covered. Passion Fine Jewelry also employs a goldsmith on staff for any custom desires, so you're able to go that route if you so choose. Visit Passion Fine Jewelry when you find yourself in Southern California, but they're also open 24 hours a day at passionfinejewelry.com. You can also find a wealth of information through Tim's blog, independentintime.com, where he covers anything independent watchmaking related, uh, among a plethora of other information, so check that out as well. I've really enjoyed creating these podcasts on behalf of Standard H and sharing each of these personal stories with all of you. We each have goals, and it's the entrepreneurial spirit that inspired me to start the company. You can further support the brand and the podcast by visiting standard-h.com to pick up your choice of merchandise. And as always, thank you for listening. Lastly, if you have a moment, please rate and review the show. It makes a tremendous difference in keeping these things going. Now back to my conversation with Wes. So customer service obviously runs the risk of being a nightmare situation, but Mm -hmm. like what makes a nightmare customer? So what would be a lesson (laughs) of what not to do as a customer? Um, for, for us, the most common frustrating thing is we get some customers that are actually highly intelligent people but they, I feel like sometimes they want to like try to outsmart us and outthink us. And so they end up not listening. Um, and, and, and this happens with a lot of different, and it shows up in different ways with a lot of different clients, but, um, a lot of times they'll be distracted, you know, they're, they're like, okay, let's move on. Let's, I, I don't have time for this. And it's like, Hey, listen, like we're, this is a big project. We need, I need you to understand what is we're doing here? Like, I need you to understand the limitations of what these products can do and w- what their benefits are. Cause there are limitations, everything. It's not like there's, these aren't magic force fields we're putting on these vehicles, right? you know? And when there's already pre-existing issues in the paint and we're fixing them, it doesn't always go as planned, you know? And there, and so I, 
I do my best up front to educate on where the limitations lie, where the problems could come up, so that if they do come up, it's not a shock to anybody. Right, there's no surprises. It's, yeah, and it gives somebody the choice to say, you know what, then let's not do it. I don't like the risks. But at least if they say yes, then they know what the risk that they're choosing into with us. We're taking those risks together. Um, and some of those risks, we financially put the risk on our client and some of them are on us. It just depends on the situation. So, and we make sure they know that too, what, where they're taking the financial risk. For instance, let's say we're removing old paint protection film, or old clear bra. There's a risk of pulling paint when we do that. Right. I'm not going to cover the cost of repainting that bumper if it comes off because I didn't paint the bumper myself. I didn't put the film on myself. Is that common? It happens. Um, the, you know, unfortunately a lot of the high end exotics Ferraris, um, they, you know, as an example, they're hand painted. There's thin spots near edges sometimes often actually. Right. Cause yeah, the human hand. Yeah. So the risk is higher, um, of, you know, of paint, of paint lifting. So we make sure they're very clear. Hey, listen, we're going to do everything in our power we're going to use steam. We're going to heat up the film, have it in the sun, whatever. You know, we're going to pull it very carefully. So we're going to do everything on our power to not lift paint, but it could happen. Right. The, the way that the adhesives are engineered, by the way, on the clear bra is, is that uh, I forgot the specific terms, but they're, um, they actually know in general how much tension paint can take, how many pounds of pressure it can take before it gets pulled off paint. And the adhesives are engineered to, to, to be less by a lot. Right. So if it's pulling paint, it's because something is wrong, wrong with the paint. With the paint. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so what's frustrating with these with with clients and what I would really encourage people to do is to is to really like ask questions and really listen to what we're saying. And if you didn't get something, speak up. And say, hey, I don't fully understand that. Or try to regurgitate it back. Make sure you understand it. Um, because, yeah, I mean, there's nothing more frustrating than like I've explained something five different times and I knew they weren't paying attention or I knew they just jumped to their own conclusion about what I was trying to say. And then when when some little thing isn't quite perfect, you know, and they're like, oh, and they all of a sudden they're pissed off. And I'm like, listen, like, it's so hard because I can't just be like, dude, I told you. <laughs> I can't obviously do that. You know, I can't make them wrong. I guess, I don't know. I'm trying to put myself in your shoes and I'm like, maybe there's an opportunity there. If you know, after four and five times, like fire off an email, maybe and just saying in summary of what we just discussed today, it's not a bad idea. You know what yeah. I mean? Like just so it's in writing and yeah. dated yeah. timestamped it's not, even. It's not a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. just, you know, just to protect yourself. Yeah. Um, cause I'm yeah, sure cause those it, customers are few and far between, but when true. they come, yeah. it's like heavy. Yeah. So you're only sending one email yeah. a month, maybe. <laughs> and then the other, the other, the other one that's kind of a, a fun. It's this one's more funny. Is is there's um so one of the things I haven't shared with you in my past is I, I have a lot of training and have worked in the personal development realm as well. Oh, cool. Personal professional growth you know, sure. seminars, coaching, and so there's a lot of we do like behavioral study, and there's a there's a um, behavior pattern called the controller behavior style that. Um, and I actually really love dealing with controller people because they, they're, they're like, they want to get, get to it. They, they, you know, they, they'll make a quicker decision, you know, we go through the educational process and then they're good. But what's funny is when they, again, they think they're going to tell me how to do my job. Right. And, and so one of the, my favorite techniques for dealing with that is I don't resist it. I just, I just dive in and I start going crazy technical and they get overwhelmed real fast. 
Cause this is, there's, this is a whole, like I have employees that for months and months and months of training, it's hard to grasp, man. Like it's hard to really understand what's happening with the paint correction that we're doing. It's well, whole, that was another question. Well, there's a couple of questions that just arose is one is like, why did you take all those courses? Was it something like maybe your dad recommended to you or did you think to do that yourself or like, what was the motivation? So when I was in junior high, I picked up um, Illusions by Richard Bach. It's one of my favorite books. Um, and and it's uh, the book is about um, uh, a reluctant messiah that basically we were we are all reluctant messiahs, that we all have these abilities. I'm not a religious person, but you know, but I but I believe that uh, that Jesus probably existed and and a lot of the stories told are probably there's some truths to it. I'm sure that he, he was really highly in tune and tapped into a lot, but he talks about, you know, all these things I can do, you can do and more, you know? And, and so Richard box illusions really talks about that and helps us tap into our higher selves and power. And, um, so it started there, but then when I was 18, I you know, look, I grew up basically in this family where I could basically have what I wanted. And, and in discovering who I was, I did some rebelling and I got myself arrested a couple of times and, you know, got myself in trouble. And as a result of that, I did a 30 day backpacking trip through Colorado through Outward Bound. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, I've had a couple of buddies do that. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. I mean, Outward, it's a because of the same reason yeah. on the front end. <laughs> and what's cool about the program that I specifically took is it's not like all the kids there were these troubled kids. It was sure. a mixed bag of just kids that were looking for an adventure, but it really, the natural high that I experienced from that uh, and really being so in tune with myself as a result of being in, in, you know, up in mountains in the wilderness for 30 days straight. <laughs> um, it, it put me on a do on a new path. And my uh, brother went through um, PSI seminars. Uh, it was the company that I did a lot of my work with. And I went to his like graduation guest event and they kind of do a little presentation on the, what, you know, these people would just went through and obviously present, you know, Right. Pitching it not, to us. Of not course. quite recruitment, but pretty much. I mean, it is. It's a but marketing it's, thing. It's, it's both. It's acknowledgement of what, of the completion of the seminar, and as well as a, hey, we're here's an invitation to come and do this as well. That's and I, cool. Dude, I jumped on it and I went through all the courses. I started volunteering a lot and then I was offered a job. And I mean, I, I'm, I know I made a huge huge effect or had a huge effect on so many people's lives by going through that stuff. And, and as a result, I feel like I've really, um, learned to understand people. And I think that's, what's helped me a lot in, in the sale. And the way that we sell here is, is again, I, it's listening. It's not shoving it down their throat. It's like, right. what do you want? <laughs> Two ears, one mouth. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. How has that affected your leadership here just as a business owner? So it's interesting. I think in some ways, in a very positive way, obviously, um, because I really try to help understand what my staff wants. I'm, I'm also paying attention to, even when they're afraid to tell me, like I'm trying to pay closer attention to like what their motivations are and what, what drives them. People don't just go to work for a check. Right. Right. Like we all, we all want some purpose in our life, you know? So I, so I think just being aware of all that has been really good. But where it's actually hindered me, especially on the earlier days of having employees, I used to try to get all my employees to develop the same mindset I have. Right. Well, but conflicting personalities are bound to exist. That is absolutely true. And 
listen, like the, the, the real truth of the situation is, is that there are entrepreneurial people and there are employee minded people. And that's great. We all, we need that actually. But I used to try to resist that. I used to, it's like my instinct. Cause I think, cause I did so much coaching on like personal accountability and growth. Like I kept wanting to coach my employees to expand their mindset and create more and all this stuff. And, and, and honestly, all I was doing was frustrating them. And cause they're like, that's not how they think. And, and then the, some that the success we did would leave and go start their own business. Yeah. You know, rather than help me grow mine. Sure. So I, 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 so it's interesting how it's kind of can have that double edged sword. So I've learned to really help embrace like, okay, well, what do you, what do you want out of this job? Do you want a career here? Are you looking for experience? So it's more it's like, and focus on what they get out of the job, not on being a business owner, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. What is that training process like though? Cause you said they could be here for months and months and you know, it's technical. You know? Yeah. There's so I prefer to hire a car enthusiasts. Some of the, my best hires have come through just posting on Instagram um, and kind of doing like a sponsored, like a boosted post and attract because then when people who are following us on social media uh, who are into cars, you know, can, like, Oh my God, I'd love to work there. Be around those cars. I love hiring those kind of passionate car enthusiasts that maybe have their own little collection of detailing stuff at home because they, because they're into it, but they don't have like actual training. Very seldomly do I like to hire detailers that have experience coming in. I've had it work for me, but most of the time they're, they're trying to prove too much rather than just listen. And they've probably developed bad habits that too. Or, or at least, or just at least not the, your way. Exactly. Right. Sometimes it's bad habits and sometimes it's just, it's their habits that don't fit into our mold. And, and they're not, and it's hard to break those. So the process that we typically go through is we start with the basics. I want them. In fact, part of the interview process is I give them some of our wash mist, our waterless wash that's, you know, proprietarily made for us. Um, give them some nice towels. I set, I show them on our website where the video, the instructional video, all the written instructions, I have them read the description of our, uh, of our $150 service. And, and I, and I basically tell them, go perform that. Imagine that you're collecting $150 from somebody to perform this, basically like our version of a wash. And, um, and then they could bring it back and I, and I see how thorough they are. Um, and most people fail miserably, but every now and then I get somebody who does pretty, pretty good. Um, I'm not going to say how they fail because I, because that'll give away one of my tricks. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, um, the, um, but then, so they, but I make them master that wash, then our rejuvenation service, de, you know, paint decontamination and sealant application and make them master full details on wheels where we're pulling the wheels off, detailing them, ceramic coating them interiors. They spend months on that before I ever even put a polisher in their hands. Um, because once I, once we get into polishing that in itself, there's more knowledge to have to learn about polishing and more subtlety than all the rest combined. That's awesome. I mean, that reminds me of this story I read. I think it was like in the wall street journal years ago, probably 10 years ago. It was talking about how, um, like there's certain people in Japan, right? They'll like go to wherever something is famous, right? So espresso, they, a guy has gone, it was bear pond number eight. Eight, I think is the name of the espresso hmm. uh, shop in, in Tokyo. And so the owner of Bear Pond spent like 
10 years in Italy learning how to literally pull a shot of espresso. And so when he went and took it back to, and I'm, don't quote me on this. This is all paraphrasing. Sure. <laughs> but uh, then goes back to Japan, hires people, and you literally, I think for the first 18 months, do nothing but clean the machine and like learn the ins and outs before you can even operate the espresso machine. I love like it. 18 yeah. months. Yeah. And so I've, I, I see like a, a tiny parallel here, which is yeah, for sure. Super smart. Yeah. I mean, you it's worked well. The There's been times, you know, like, Business ebbs and flows. Um, employees do too. Sometimes there, we'll have people, you know, leave the company to go start their own, you know, business or go. Maybe somebody offered them more money, and they decided to go, you know, move on. Or we've had to fire people. Whatever. I mean, it's just a part of turnover is a big part of my industry as sure. a whole. Yeah. Um, and um, and so there's been times where I've had to I've had to take guys that have been here for weeks or like a month and start teaching and polishing out of necessity. Um, and I've been lucky in, in that the couple of guys I've had to do that with um, had natural ability uh, and, and, and it worked. But others, when I've, you know, I, I, I learned this behavior. Others, no way. It was way too much intel. So I learned to go, okay, we're going we're gonna to master the basics first. It also helps them earn something too, because they everyone wants to polish. Right, you work your way up, and then you see your path and what you've accomplished. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Again, it's part the, of that uh, purpose thing. Sure, you know. What's the hardest part of your job? Of of detailing or of my job? Of your job. <laughs> like, what do you find to be the hardest part? Or um, what's been the hardest part? I think my biggest struggle uh, is that you know I don't have any kind of like financial training, uh, management training, you know, that any of that kind of stuff. So, you know, managing personnel has been very difficult for me. Um, you know, I've learned, I've, I feel like I'm getting a lot better. Uh, I still feel like there's a lot for me to, you know, to learn how to do, um, in terms of delegation and management and the subtle, the subtleties between like of proper delegation and not just dumping something on someone's plate or, and again, expectations, make sure that they're trained correctly and holding them accountable and all that. There's a, there's a lot to that side of it. And, and then, and then the management of funds. Um, I mean, for years it was just, I paid the bill when the money was there and then you know, I just, I didn't budget. I didn't I, in a forecast. I didn't anything. I just, when money rolled in, I could pay for bills. I, you know, and sometimes I get, a, I'd get behind and sometimes I'd be flush. And then being, when I was younger, you know, Oh, I got all this money and go buy something stupid. And, you know, like, <laughs> you know, so I would say I, I've, I've definitely taken it on the chin a few times financially. Um, and I'm getting a lot better. I have a really good accountant that I spent a lot of money a month to have him help me manage things and stay on top of things. And, you know, um, so it's been good to have him to, lean on, you know, that's great. Yeah. What's been easy for you? Growth, the business growth, um, that, um, I, I think that number one, I just believe in myself, you know, I just know that this is going to keep succeeding and thriving and growing. Like I just, I, I know it and, and I manifest that and, um, and, it, but I, I don't sit back and, 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 and then it's, it's not like, you know, like, like, I mean, I believe in 
parts of things that are in like you know in the movie The Secret and the book. You know, like I think there's some misconceptions or things are misconstrued or people kind of don't understand all of it. But it's not like I sit here and just manifest it in my mind and therefore it happens. But I but I my actions follow it. I guess I should say. You know, like I know it's going to be there. And there, and the, and then I start taking the actions, and um, I'm I'm pretty fearless. So I just, even when things are tight financially, I just I just keep pushing and keep going through it. You know, I don't stop. So I think that all naturally just happens. Um, and also, I'm I would say that our abilities to do really high end work is the easy thing for me. All that came, yes, with a lot of work and sacrifice but it came naturally for me. I think that's also probably attributes to, it, it probably lends itself a little bit to why managing others can be difficult is because when you are successful personally at something, it's like the, the expression, those who can't do teach, but when you can do it, sometimes it's harder to teach. It's true. And then you got to manage on top of that. I mean, even something as mm-hmm. dumb as showing up on time, you yeah. know, you can't teach that. It's yeah. got to be in them to show yeah. up. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So that's really interesting. Yeah. For me, I'm embarrassed when I'm late. hundred percent. I'm like profusely apologizing. Yeah. And, and have communicated before I was late. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, like, Oh, I'm going to be late for this appointment. Text call, whatever. Like, and oh, I'm so sorry. You know, like I do that even with the barbershop. Like, Hey man, I'm like three minutes late. Yeah. Like wait, wait for me. And yeah. they're like, chill out, man. Yeah. Like and, you're good. And, yeah. And then you get there and there's still someone in the chair. You're right. Like, oh. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm the same. Um, but yeah, you know, and you're, you're right about the training aspect. I think, you know, sometimes like it's not, I know that I have made people feel small and not intentionally, but I've been like, oh, just give me that. And like, and I'll just want to just do it and show them. And I get frustrated because I'm like, to me, it was like common sense. But again, it, not only is it kind of a natural thing for me in, in this business, but it, you know, I've been through, I developed systems because of trial and error. Right. Exactly. I developed new systems that didn't exist in this industry before. And I forget, it's like, I forget how much history I have with it all and experience and knowledge and just intuition with it. So it's not common sense a lot of the time, you know, but to me it is. And so, you know, I have to kind of keep myself in check with that. You know, where do you see the industry going? You know, I mean, um, elite finish offering paint protection film in house now is, you know, uh, on the newer side of things. I've always, you know, obviously I was a detailer for many years and, and the paint protection film is very much where vehicle protection is going. Um, you know, we're no longer subcontracting out that, that service. It's an in-house offered, you know, service now. And, um, you know, and, and we're, and we've been doing very well with it. Um, I, I think that a lot of people naturally, when they're buying a nice vehicle, they've already now heard about it and they just instinctively are like, they'll call ahead of time. They'll shop around and be like, Hey, I'm buying this car. I ordered this car. I'll have it sometime the next week or two. Can I get on your schedule now? And they literally pick up from the dealership and bring it straight to us. So sorry to interrupt you. What, what is sort of the motivation then? Is it, is it literally just that to protect their car? Is it, an aesthetic thing because it gives you, you know, that glossy, that wet look that it's just been washed or is it future related, meaning resale value? Like, so 
yes to all of those questions, but I would say that the, probably the most common thing is, is that they're getting it to us urgently because they want to ensure their first motivation is they want to, they want to protect the newness of the car. So, I mean, if you drive a, car, a brand new car around for even like a month or two on the freeways and you start getting little chips, you know, building up on your headlights, front bumper, and then cover it, it doesn't look, you know, it doesn't look flawless, you know? I mean, and then you try to cover it. It's, it's not, it's not as good. So they want to do that before anything happens. My clientele, especially the ones that are a repeat clientele, they know that they're not only getting it protected, it's being enhanced first. So they're like, they see a car for what it can be now. Cause I've shown them, you know, it's not just like, okay, protect what it is. But uh, people that are kind of new to all this, you know, um, they're, they're mostly just like, they're just trying to preserve what it is. And then, yeah, they're the resale value thing. You know, I think what it's not like, it's not like you could put a dollar amount and say, okay, well you spent five grand protecting the car. So you're going to get 2,500 back. It's not like that. I think what happens though is, is that when you have a special car, especially, uh, you're able to get top dollar when someone's looking, if someone's shopping around, you know, for, you know, let's say a, uh, Porsche GT four, let's just say, right. Sure. They're shopping around and they're seeing some between 90, you know, eight, 80, 90, 95, hundred 105, 110, whatever. You kind of have this, whatever bracket of cars they're looking at and the car that's stunning to look at doesn't have chips doesn't have swirl marks the wheels are pristine that car is going to catch that top dollar yeah you know yeah no i think that's fair as a customer like what are some things that people should look out for or ask when vetting because obviously not everybody can come to you here in san diego for sure i got a lot of people in new york and east coast that listen yeah. to this podcast um what are some things that you could advise those customers to sort of in the process of vetting their local shop? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a really good question. And honestly, I actually have that even, even local people. If I have, you know, I know when someone's calling in and they're just kind of tire kicking and they're shopping around. And so we'll, I'll, I'll arm them with questions and with, you know, with, with Intel, um, that they should be looking for. Number one, they, once they've narrowed down, I'll kind of go in reverse order a little bit. Once you've kind of narrowed down, let's say two or three shops that you're, uh, that you think could provide you the level of service that you would want. Visit them before you make a decision. Check their work. Yeah. See just the, what the environment's like. Check the work. Kind of meet people. Just eyeballs on scene is it's it's a good thing. Um, the um, and then asking a lot of questions on the phone and seeing how they not only what they say. And, and, but also how they're answering questions and if they seem frustrated with the questions or not, or if they really seem like they really know what they're talking about and if they're patient, um, you know, with the process, even when I describe, you know, those kind of frustrating clients that I've dealt with, I just, I, I stay patient, you know, at the end of the day, they're going through their process. You know, I might be like, uh, you know, but, but, but when I'm with them, I will answer that question as many times as I have to. And I'll be with them and I'll try to answer it in different ways. But I think the questions that they should, people should be trying to, I mean, there's so many different services we offer, so it's kind of hard to give them all the questions, but basically it's like this. 
number one prep for this stuff is very critical. So ceramic coatings, um, if you don't fully paint correct a car and you put a ceramic coating on, um, you are trapping that damage. Now, if you're just talking swirls and scratches, maybe the client doesn't care. Maybe they have a 2000 Honda Accord that's their commuter that they just want it to be easier to clean. Fine. Why would I charge them three grand when the car is not even probably worth that and they, don't, they, and they don't care? They right. just want it to look shiny. Really, they don't want their paint to fail and they want it to be easy to clean. So I'm just going to do a very quick, I'm going to wash clay, quick polish and coat it. So, you know, so it's not that the correction has to be done before coatings, but you do need to understand though that what you're, you know, that if you don't, if you decide later you want your car paint corrected, it's going to cost you a lot more money to, to fix it because now you got to strip the coating with through a compounding process, paint correction process, and then you get to finally get into the paintwork. Now, if there's stains and things, again, if you don't care, then oh well, but most people care about bird poop stains and things like that. Th- those need to be addressed correctly. You know, a lot of these paint structures today, you know, and I've learned the hard way in this, um, is, and in fact, you witnessed this morning when you dropped off, I was talking to a client where, you know, the, the initial service we did, had all these stains on the whole vehicle. We paint corrected them out and then, and then we coated the car and the car left here flawless and all the stains reappeared. So then, and so then I had, and I had, I weren't, you know, I, I didn't leave my client hanging. I redid the whole car myself. Took us like three and a half days to fix that car for no money. What is the average turnaround for Generally speaking, a day and a night, two days and a night, usually, unless we're talking clear, Brian, I mean, a lot of these projects will have them for the whole week, but you know, like in that situation, what we learned was we really should have sanded the car first and then paint corrected it because we heated up the paint through the correction process and pushed those, the chemicals deeper in. And then they looked like they were gone, but they really weren't. The acids were down deep in the paint. So it's just really, again, just understanding if, if a shop, Also, just honestly, look at like if you're in a high market like San Diego, L.A., Orange County, and you're looking at getting a top tier ceramic coating, as an example, or paint protection film, and a shop is charging half. It's kind of a red flag. I mean, maybe they're just starting off. Maybe they're running some specials. Maybe they just they just need some business, whatever. But chances are you get what you pay for kind of thing. Yeah. And and in my opinion, I, I will tell my clients if they, let's say I have a car come in that really needs like a $3,500 paint correction in order to get coated and they just don't have that kind of budget. I would tell them I'll, I would rather charge you $500 to just polish and put a sealant on this thing than to, than to polish it and put a coating over all this crap that's all over the paint. You know, like I would rather do less of this semi-permanent to permanent product rather just not do that or even lose their business then do what I feel is wrong. And so if someone, you know, but you'll get detailers that will just be like, Oh yeah, no, we'll just, we can, you know, a thousand bucks. That's what you can afford. Okay. And they'll just polish it and coat it. And, and then the client's like, Oh, I thought, I thought it was going to be better than that. You know? Yeah. What, um, what are some do's and don'ts that people can do at home, you know, just to take care of their car? Let's say they don't have the 3,500 bucks, right? Let's say that they don't, have 150 bucks for, you know, the elite finish wash. Yeah. What are some just brass tacks, things that people can just do to, you know, help their car? Most important thing. So look, a lot of my business is not, 
it's really none of it's necessary. My clientele are coming because they want high end. They want the best of the best stuff. It's all the fun stuff. All this polishing work we're doing, the ceramic coatings, even the clear, all of it. It's like, it's all that like extra, extra, right? What a car really needs to just not have problems. Most importantly is that it's just kept clean. If you're just using really any car soap, you know, and, and a decent wash mitt and a decent drying towel. Yeah. You're, you're going to probably introduce some soil marks over time or whatever. But at the end of the day, most people aren't going to really at that, that level and people aren't going to care that much about that. They just don't want their paint to fail, you know, peel or oxidize or whatever. Um, so keeping it clean and cleaning a clean car will help prevent scratch wash damage. Sure. You know, and, and what I mean by that is I don't mean you're cleaning it every day. I just mean that like, you're not letting it build up for weeks and weeks and weeks or months and months before, you know, before cleaning, uh, before you clean it, the more debris that's on the car, the more chances of scratching it. Now, interestingly enough, waterless wash and especially like wash mist, which anybody, any of your followers, if they go to washmist.com is it's a landing page right on our website. Um, that is actually has more lubrication than car soaps do. So it's actually, and there's more control with what you're doing. The towels we pair it with the technique, the process that we do, you can feel everything you're doing. You're going panel by panel. You're not rushing. It's funny. I actually had a client who he decided to test. He's been using wash mist. And then he was like, you know, I'm going to do a water and soap bath. And, and he had, he had zero wash damage in his car after we corrected it and coated it until he did water and soap and then he put wash damage in. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And, um, and a lot of people always think, Oh, how am I not going to scratch the car if I'm just spraying the stuff on and wiping it? But it, it, it really is safer. So I would really, and it's, and you don't have, you're using like a pint of water. You don't have, you know, you, you can do it right in your garage. You can do it. A lot of my clients who live like downtown, they, they're not allowed to work on their cars. So security walks by and they're using wash mist. What are you doing? Oh, I'm just wiping the dust off my car. <laughs> you know? Um, so keeping it clean is, is number one. Then the next important thing is keeping it decontaminated. So what I mean by that is like brake dust and other atmospheric fallout, especially again, if you live near an airport or downtown, you got trolleys. Um, we also have these shipyards they are grinding the barnacles off the metals can be floating in the air. So all those little metal fragments get on the paint. And then once they're there and condensation and, uh, and oxygen hits it, it starts to rust. Man, I never would have even thought that yeah. way <laughs> so about barnacles and, and metal being in the air that's so I, I crazy know. and so and you'll know it's there because when you clean the car and you run your fingers over the paint and it feels kind of bumpy kind of rough that's all fallout and that fallout is eating away at the top of your clear coat so clay bar usually gets most of that out yep products like uh, iron x like car pro makes a product called iron x it's an iron eating chemical um we'll do a decent job at that clay sometimes a combination of the two is necessary uh, we use synthetic clay discs or synthetic clay towels. Um, and then um, um, we just find them to be safer and easier and faster to use than traditional clay. We use traditional clay in tight nooks and crannies and emblems. And then um, and then the third most important is that there's some sort of UV um, protection that provides protection against oxidation, UV rays. Um, also having some hydrophobics helps because it makes it slicker and clean, you know, dust doesn't stick as well. So wax has always been the traditional. That's like the base level. Then polymer sealants then came around. That was like the next step up. Now you, you have these ceramic materials or, uh, you know, um, and those look like different, there's different types of ceramic materials, but you've got your ceramic coatings and then there's more of like ceramic sealants 
or what you'll commonly hear is SiO2 or silica sealants, um, which is part of the, those fall into that kind of ceramic realm. And what's nice about the silica stuff is that it's a lot more dust repellent and it is less affected by detergents and by the sun. It's more abraded off through washes than it is like wax will wear off just from being exposed to the elements. Sure. So how often should you wax your car or use something like the silica? So let's say you're you doing a traditional car water and soap bath, a water and soap bath. Usually a, a couple of car washes will take off most wax. In a couple of washes. Typically. Yeah. Wow. Um, so if you're keeping your car clean, it's, you need to wax your car very regularly once a month. Yeah. Once every couple months. Yeah. Typically once a month is kind of the general look And a lot of it depends on how many miles you put year you're putting on it. And is the car sitting out at night versus during the day, by the way, car, I would rather a car sitting out in the sun all day than sitting out at night because at night when you have dust sitting on the car and then the condensation comes in that condensation mixes with dirt and it makes it caked and gets stuck to the paint. So then when you go to wash it off, it, it can scratch. Also it can stain the paint. Those little, those little marks can then can stain. Um, but polymer sealants usually you get two, three months, maybe four. There are like really high end, you know, like Swiss Vax, really great company makes phenomenal waxes. You can get three, three to six months. They have some that are like a year plus. Um, um, but that's a whole other, that's like show car stuff. It's a whole other realm for the average person. The easiest thing, really any silica sealant that that's a spray is what people should be doing for themselves because you spray it on a towel, you work it in, you work it off with the dry side of the towel. It's so easy. Like we use car pro reload and also we have, um, uh, shine supply clutch. Those are the two we use for kind of different applications. Um, but in both cases, it's so simple and you'll get legit months of protection out of that. That's awesome. Yeah. So what, um, what are you driving these days? <laughs> we talked about Subi back in the day. Yeah. So you so, had the WRX, but that's been what, 13 years. So that I got that in 07 and I would, I would still probably have that car. Um, if I hadn't, um, totaled it, <clears throat> <laughs> I wish I had a good story for how I totaled it. Um, I have in my truck, I, I rolled the truck. I drove off a cliff once I'd done some crazy things in the truck, but the, the WRX, I, uh, um, I was just changing lanes and traffic and the lady in front of me hit her brakes and I didn't see it. And I went right underneath her back bumper and it went and crushed my engine compartment. My car was real low. And, um, so I, I went from that and, uh, Really stretched myself financially, but stepped into, um, I got a brand new 2014 S4. Oh, nice. And uh, totally modded that, you know, um, it's, uh, it was interesting though, that stretching into that, I think pushed me. Was that the, that was the turbo six, right? Or was uh, that supercharged, the... super six. Okay. Yeah. Supercharged yeah. six. Um, very cool motor. Great sound. I love that car. Um, you know, um, really uh, got into the Audi club. That really helped a lot building the business up, um, modded the heck out of that, drove in a ton of rallies. You can see all these, all these trophies over here. Uh, those are all from driving in, uh, rallies, driving, you know, across state lines and doing, uh, excessive things. <laughs> right. Um, lots in, of fun in Mexico, in Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. State lines in Mexico. Yeah. Um, and, um, and then, um, sold, uh, uh well had an opportunity to get a 2017, GT350R, 
um, at sticker when they were selling for like 30 to 50 over sticker. Wow. And so I had to jump on it when I still hadn't sold that out yet. And I was like freaking out with these two payments, two big payments. Um, but I, fortunately I think I only had like a two month overlap and I sold, I sold the Audi to this really cool guy out in Texas. He bought it sight unseen. In fact, he was moving from, I think Washington or Oregon. I forgot which state he was moving to Texas. So the car met him actually beat him to Texas. So he'd never even seen it. Totally just trusted me. You know, we, we talked a lot on the phone, sent him a lot of pictures and obviously I kept that car. I mean, I had tons of clear brown coating and I had I, all my upgrades were super tastefully done. I had a beautiful HREs on it. I mean, the guy got a really nice deal, but what was cool is then he took it on and kept modifying it further Oh wow! and was driving in rallies himself. It was so cool to see that. Like, and then I think eventually I think he has actually sold it at this point, but gotcha. <laughs> So you're in the GT350. So, so I have the GT350R. I drove that stock for a while. It's an impressive car stock, but I have a need for speed. And uh, I'm actually uh, driving up this Sunday to go pick it up after a really in-depth build. Okay. Full motor build, transmission build. Uh, had a lot of sponsorship involved in the car. Um, and uh, Whipple um, put their Gen, their Gen 5 3-liter blower on there. Um, we'll see what the power levels are, but we're anticipating between about 1200 and 1400 wheel horsepower. What? So right now we're probably, I think on E85, I think really our target truthfully is to just get past 1200. Uh, but we'll see, we'll see what we can pull out of it. Um, and then on pump gas, just 91, we'll probably be in the 900 to a thousand wheel horsepower range. That's so, insane. And then I've got this little white Miata that, um, what's cool is I picked it up from a guy who also has a GT 350 R brought it in for bunch of our services here and we were just talking about whether we took our 350rs to the track or not because they're just track monsters not with the power level i have now but as stock cars or even with a little bit of boost you know they're just incredible on the track but both of us had the same philosophy of like they're kind of our prized possessions and we didn't want to go beat them up on the track plus dude Tires, tires brakes, brakes everything yeah. on that car versus a, like a miata so i told him i was like yeah one of these days i'm gonna build up a miata and just kind of daily that and have a track toy. He's like, dude, you should buy mine. <laughs> so, Oh, no way. Yeah, he put like 15 grand into race mods into that thing. I mean, all the top handling, everything. Um, and then we have a Tesla Model 3 as well. That's, oh, cool. That's, that's, that, that's, the, that's the wife's car. I try to steal it as often as I can. Try to get her to drive the Miata. She refuses. Uh, but anytime she goes out of town, I'm like, oh, good. I get to drive the Tesla. I, I actually really, really love the Model 3. So what's your dream garage? You got a three-car garage. What are you filling it with? Um, three, if it's all three for me, I would say that the next like really nice purchase that I'd be really stoked on. And sometimes cars just kind of come to me all of a sudden something's there. I was like, Ooh, like actually I really, I really like the new GT 500 that came out. I really, really like the new C8 and I like, I've never been like a huge Corvette fan. I love Corvettes. I think they're cool whether, but I've never really been like drawn to want to buy one but the new c8 like if they if they do like the equivalent of a grand sport where you have the wide body like the z06 but it's naturally aspirated i think that car will be nasty although i would probably twin turbo it but i guess it's just because <laughs> that's just how i am but i'd rather be the one to put the power outer on you know right right um, but that's going to be a 5.5 liter flat plane crank in the new z06 platform and that kind of in the in the the c8 r platform you know um 
So what, that would be sick. But the but the real dream, like exotic car for me right now is I would love a um, a Gallardo Superleggera twin turbo. Like that's just like yeah, I love that car. No reason not to. <laughs> yeah, I love that car. Of course, the Huracan like really grew on me. I'll be honest. Sure. I didn't even like it at first, but like I love the Huracan now. Yeah. Um, and I'm not even that big of a Lambo fan. For sure. But the guy, yeah. I the Huracan is, of course, in in so many ways, is of course the better car, for sure. I think the reason why the Gallardo is a draw for me more than the Huracan is that um, it's a more raw like mean looking car and um uh it it didn't have the popularity the huracans i mean dude the leasing program that they did with those the finance i mean they made that car really easy to buy and at the right time i mean economy when that car was coming out the economy was taking off again and um so there's a lot of them they're not as rare like you see a really well done like especially like a super legera you know, Gallardo, like people are like, whoa, I mean, it's a, it's a special car, you know? And again, nothing to take away the Huracan. I've been around a track on a Huracan and I, honestly, I was kind of bored. It's, it, but for a good reason, it just handles it's, so it's well. It's so balanced. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what's the third car? You know, I don't know. I think for me, I'm more into, I'd rather buy cars that are, that are in that attainable realm and then modify them. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm into. I would love to take like an old, um, an old Mustang and smoothen out some of its lines, put modern suspension, put a, put a current, like the, the 5.2, the voodoo motor that's in my Shelby, uh, put a, a modern crate motor voodoo motor in, um, you know, and, and do really cool stuff like that. Um, the, um, I'm like, I'm really impressed with what American, um, you know, muscle is doing right now too. All, all the new stuff. Honestly, like I think it could actually be pretty badass to have a GT 350 R, which I already have, obviously the new GT 500, um, a Camaro ZL11 LE, a Corvette, you know, um, even, even, uh, even a, um, a Hellcat. I mean, the Hellcats, I, they're, I think they're really cool cars. I, I wouldn't probably drive it much, but I think it would be amazing to have that collection of sure. just like all the American muscle. I just think that would be cool. That is cool. You know? Yeah. It'd be super unique too. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm just, I don't have this desire to have a ton of exotics, right. you, money, no object. You know, I think truly money, no object. I'd, I'd probably skip a lot of the exotics and get into hypercar status, but right. even still they're so fussy and like, you know, being, you're being forced to like, Oh, your oil change. We got to pull your motor and do it. It's like, right. <laughs> it's, it's insane. You know, some of that stuff, but they're such beautiful pieces of art, you know, that definitely seven sixty five LT that uh, they just announced insane. that McLaren is, yeah. Oh my God. Drop dead. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I've, I've been a McLaren fan. I would definitely get into that. But again, I mean, there's just, you just have to know getting into that car. There's just going to be like, oh, the bolt, that bolt strip to hold that little piece of carbon fiber on. Oh, well, you know, like <laughs> you just have to know there's just sunk costs. Yeah. There's just little frustrations and it's just part of it. You just, you, oh, well, I got to get it. You get a good relationship with the service advisor, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, that that's awesome. Well, Wes, man, I really appreciate you taking the time. This yeah. was fun. Yeah. You too. Wes. Uh, hopefully <laughs> this uh, taught some people some things and 
people can walk away a little bit more educated on how to take care of their ride and yeah yeah i really yeah, I appreciate, appreciate it yeah i appreciate you coming down and it's been fun spending the time and uh you know i i think uh I want everyone to know too that I don't care honestly where they are in the country. I'm I'm a phone call away. Like I'm seriously like I This is true. I'm happy to help anybody out. And by the way, people have flown me places on their private jets or just flown me out and yeah. do it with their cars Estimates. or they ship them in or whatever, you know? Well, yeah, because, I mean, you could transport a car here easy. Yeah, it's really you know, not that. Throw it I on mean, a trailer. Yeah, round trip, it's really not that bad, if, especially if it's the right car, sure. you know? Um, if you got a really special car that you want to know it's been done right. I mean, we did a car, this guy down in, uh, in Dallas. I mean, you know, it was a one of one career GT. Oh, wow. You know, one of one color and yeah. One of my favorite cars of all so, time. So, you know, sure. it's like he found us through just by doing his research down in, you know, and, uh, or sorry, Houston. And, uh, and then, yeah, <laughs> shipped it up, shipped it back. Amazing. Yeah. Cool. Cool, bro. All right, man. Well, uh, let's chat soon. Sounds good, dude. Thanks. All right. See ya. I really appreciate Wes taking the time to sit down with me to chat. Um, I know I learned a ton. I hope you guys did as well. As always, thanks to Clear Audio for the noise cancellation headphones, as well as to Jensen Reed and Super Beautiful for the theme music. I will catch you guys in two weeks' time for another episode of the Standard H Podcast. If you haven't done so, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. It helps tremendously, so I really, really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. See you guys soon.